Jeff Cameron Show, at least for today. Thanks for tuning to it. Hope this finds you doing well on a Balls McWednesday. I'm Jeff. That is Director Matthew. We're online, ESPNTallahassee.com. Don't forget, when this hour ends, that'll be three, and the show will get posted all three hours to uh, Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you get podcasts. So you can find it there if you miss portions of the program. You can also email the show if you like, jcs at 979 On Twitter, it's at Cameron Show. Hello, YouTubers. Good to be back with you. Uh, should note, too, by the way, now, before we get going here, I do want to promote uh, my friends over at Front Row Knowles, uh, Keith Jones, Tom Block, two great guys that I've known a long time, and uh, their their show comes on tonight after mine, and uh, they're going to have Dylan Gibbons on, and that is an unbelievable story. I mean, right off the bat, we kick off name, image, likeness with this awesome story. And, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing about name, image, likeness. I'm not amongst the hand-wringers. But there are a lot of people very, very concerned that somebody might get 700 bucks here or there. Um, and, and you know, how will this get worked out? It is the wild, wild west, as they say. And I'm, to be sure, going to be watching closely, as we all are, to see the unintended consequences and whether or not something does arise that is of great concern for the NCAA or member institutions and, and what to do about it. But we'll cross those roads, as they say, as we encounter them. But uh, the story at Florida State, for me, that, you know, right off the bat, I think everybody who saw it grabbed your attention and reminded you how silly it was that they couldn't do this before the name, image, likeness. He could, Dylan Gibbons, the new offensive lineman for Florida State that is has transferred in from, from Notre Dame, uh, Used his used his name, image, likeness in order to promote a GoFundMe page, uh, and and it was in his effort to get a young man who um, is is fighting a, an ailment, and uh, you could you could read about that again, um, but he wanted to get him to the game, and and he linked it in his bio to Dylan Gibbons to the Florida State Notre Dame game, I should say, on September the fifth, twenty twenty one. And you could read, you could you could read the uh, link in his bio and learn more about it. And if you wanted to be part of that GoFundMe, you could you could help out. And man, people responded. And their goal was to an effort to raise seventy five thousand. I know they're well over forty thousand. People showed up. Um, and basically, you can hear more about the story um, tonight. On Front Row Knowles. I, I'm tempted to tell you more and to go into the details and everybody involved and the young man, Timothy, uh, and all of that. But I'm going to let them do that. They took the time to interview Dylan, and it, it'll be worth your time tonight to listen uh, to Front Row Knowles to hear that interview and get uh, more of an understanding um, and, and how it was that they started the GoFundMe page in order to help the family uh, directly and help them cover the expenses that occur uh, on a regular basis for Tim- Timothy, but also to get him to the game. He's you know he's a huge Notre Dame fan. He's a huge Dylan Gibbons fan, and he wants to go to the Florida State Notre Dame game. And what a cool opportunity and a lot of money raised. And so we can all gather around and celebrate a good thing, a really good thing. And you can listen to more of it tonight. Man, that story's unbelievable. There have been, been a couple lately. You know, by the way, 
I began the show by talking about how close we are to football practices starting. Florida State's less than a month away from guys practicing football in the National Football League. We're two weeks away from them practicing football. How about them apples? Two weeks away. Cowboys, Steelers, getting it on. Hall of Fame game is that first week in August, and we're less than a month away from football being played. And you know, just as I know, that anytime you sit down and you're seeing those highlights or practice reports and updates, and or even if it's just an exhibition game, which makes you roll your eyes because you always get geared up for it, then it starts, and five minutes in, you're like, oh, this is kind of boring. They're not trying real hard. It still, though, it tickles the fancy, warms the heart a little bit. You know we're getting with the getting. It's time to move on. Those days are the beginning of no more lonely nights. That's right. From that point forward, you will be able to find a GD football game. You're going to sit down and find one, even a bad one, when you're in your darkest moments. Oh, oh what's this? Yes, there's, there's no more just wandering aimlessly on the World Wide Web. You can sit down and type in, College football, NFL football. That's the sound of stories populating right there. Boom, 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 boom. There's one after the other because there's real stuff happening. That's that's the sound of the tickets that come as oh. Jets betting on all these games. <laughs> well, I've already got a lot of my preseason bets in, including on my beloved Knowles. No, I do. I uh, you know I get asked a lot. We're all pontificating uh, about whether or not Florida State can win. Six games, seven games, eight games, you name it, all of that, right? Uh, And I've tried to temper that enthusiasm without being a jerk, without being a Debbie Downer. I've tried to say, well, now hold on a second. I think we're better coached and we're going to look better and more organized and everybody's going to be in lockstep and we're all bought in. And But then there's always the dot, dot, dot. And and it's hard. It's, you, you know, it's frustrating because I don't want to be the one that drops the other shoe. You know, I don't I don't want to be, but I also, I don't think it's a good idea to uh, conflate your enthusiasm and belief in what you've just seen in the world of recruiting and this effort from the coaching staff that you know has to succeed because they're not getting removed anytime soon um, with, you know, hopes and dreams as opposed to the reality of what the roster suggests, right? So you got to know that it, it's going to take a little time. I can't wait for... The moment, by the way, and I think this should happen, and I'll take it back real quick to um, to what I was just talking about with Dylan Gibbons and, and, and taking Timothy to tally the GoFundMe page. Um, I mean, that's something that uh, both fan bases, Notre Dame and Florida State, and really just decent people everywhere, can get behind. Imagine that moment when uh, when he's caught on camera smiling and enjoying the football game. That That's going to be a great moment, one that is uh, universally celebrated uh, and, and again, another hopefully sign of, of good things to come, a normal year. You know, we, again, we talked about it in that first hour of the show today that um, as much as I am pumped to know that we're two weeks away from NFL camps beginning and from, uh, you know, less than four weeks away from that first exhibition game being played between the Cowboys and the Steelers, less than a month away from Florida State uh, taking the football field and beginning practices, practices that we're allowed to watch, I might add, and that we continue to talk about this because the context that we're able to provide 
the the types of things that we're able to provide on this show and really for anybody that covers the team uh, seriously is so much better than it's been in a very 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 long time. So it's not it's not so much that we're dealing with just speculation, but rather concrete evidence of things that we've witnessed at these practices. So it's a year that we're eagerly anticipating because we're coming off of a year that was unlike any other, and aggravatingly so but also one that is not only a return to norm, but with much greater insight possible. I mean, that's a staff that talks to the press and isn't afraid to lay out before them what they're doing. Um, and the access to the players is great too. And getting to know these guys, getting to know a little bit about, about who they are and, and what we can expect. It's going to be a fun season, and I suspect – that it'll be a fun season whether we win six games or, or, or eight games. Now, one final note on that, when I say temper your enthusiasm, and I've said it a lot, um, it, it doesn't mean I don't think there are some potential surprises because I, I will continue to hammer this point. Having a normal offseason in which players can sit down and eat together and be together and work out together and bond Coaches can sit down and talk with players consistently, teach players, you know, to the to the extent that they're allowed. Having those things in place, having an actual spring, building the bonds that come from working hard together every day and relating and learning from your coaches, sweating, sacrificing, building upon the day before it, all of that, hardening yourself, callousing your mind, getting through the tough days, all that – it's hard, again, to apply those advances and the things that you didn't have a year ago with tangible victory. Like, I know that being able to do this guarantees a win against so-and-so. Like, you really can't do that. But I do think you can speculate fairly that it might very well lead to an upset or two. That, that, that bond and that understanding and that growth emotionally as well as physically take you to a and you're really counting on it if you're if you have high high hopes like you're really because if you're just looking at odds and personnel you see six wins but if you're thinking that there are intangibles that they didn't get to engage in a year ago because of uh, the the covid season um then then maybe you see seven or eight wins maybe you do that you would have to count on a couple of upsets uh in some of which um seem imminently doable one of those games is that Notre Dame game early in the season. It's not implausible to think that you catch Notre Dame early in a year of transition. You know, four of their five offensive linemen replaced, quarterback replaced, defensive end, safety, linebacker replaced, replaced, replaced. That's a lot of starters. It's a lot of starters that are gone. So you might you might catch them early. You might catch a break. Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. What that says about a man. Well, if you're a Federer fan, your day is over. 
He got smoked today at Wimbledon. Straight sets, including one that finished six love. Ooh, ooh, no, 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 no. Sir, it's time. I mean, he steamrolled on his way into the quarters, but uh, once you, when all-time greats are getting beaten straight sets, and one of those sets is six love, we gotta we gotta seriously contemplate calling it a day, especially on a surface that you absolutely adore. Seems inevitable, doesn't it, that uh, Joker is going to go ahead and surpass everybody because he cruised. Uh, quite the opposite, by the way, cruised in straight sets to, to his victory to the semis. So we shall see. There are three sports, quote-unquote, sports stories right now that are hard to tackle, that like you feel cowardly by overlooking. But really, there's no angle. There's nowhere to go with them. I don't have um, you know, an opinion that would be uh, in any way tantalizing or even interesting. I'm just going to admit that. You shouldn't as a talk show host. But like, where am I going to go with this Bauer story? This is a huge story. This guy's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, and day by day it goes by, and something comes to light, such as the Dodgers have, you know, they decided not to go ahead with the Trevor Bauer bobblehead night. Well, that's probably, probably a good idea. They've canceled that. They began to take down a bunch of merchandise from the team store. That Now, listen, I guess maybe I do have an opinion on this. Slow your roll on all this now. No charges have been filed, and we don't know what's going to happen here. And again, I said this was a really weird story, kind of a not a really not a story that we could sink our teeth into. It, it wouldn't be very appropriate because there's a lot of very um, for mature audiences only type material in this in this story where you can you can read the details of the case and if you're an adult you you can stomach the details of the case and say okay i see that where this could go either way this could be a he's a monster and he's going to be in real trouble or there's some freaky dicky stuff going on here that was uh, agreed to you know so you don't know you don't know but i don't want to get into that cuz there are even though that i am prone to use the occasional uh, aggressive word on the show uh, you know, most people listening to this can handle an occasional, hey, me saying damn or ass or something like that. And the kids are like, dad, you know, okay, well, listen, I get it. But that material, like I can't get into, I can't really get into the details of what's going on with that story. And every time I read it, I go, what's the angle I could take here? And I don't mean angle as in manufactured take. I mean, how can I explain how really complicated this appears to be right now for the Dodgers? And for Major League Baseball, like leaving the court case, like if, if whether or not there's going to be charged, the cops will decide that. But like, you read the details from his lawyers and their statements, and then you see what her lawyer says, and you go, okay, I can't really get into that on the air. But I also do see where if you're the Dodgers, you just got to stand pat. I've seen a whole lot of people saying that Major League Baseball ought not allow him to appear in the All Star game or anything else, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. It's it's dicey. I don't know. So that's one of those stories. Then there's the story of the goalie for the Columbus Blue Jackets, who unfortunately is dead after a 4th of July accident. And I do begin to wonder, and not a clutch my pearls, oh my God, the world's falling apart all around us sort of way, but people are stupid. And you give stupid people, and I'm not saying he was stupid, just in general, People don't make real good decisions, as we find out every year around the 4th of July. Somebody's blowing a hand off or dying or doing something incredibly dumb. 
And in this case, it led to a man dying. Now, the more you learn about that situation, the more you, I don't know, one thing stands out to me. This Help me understand this. I, as a little kid, like all little kids, we're attracted to things that blow up or are on fire. Every kid likes that. I, I mentioned uh, before that we used to go for the 4th of July to the Rowdies games in Tampa Stadium. Winston DeBose, Steve Wegerly, Rodney Marsh, those guys, right? Loved it. Thought it was the coolest thing. Kevin the Cat Keelan tattoo. We used to go to those games. Loved it. And then after those games in Tampa Stadium, the old sombrero, they had these huge fireworks show, and it was something to behold. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. My best childhood memories of the 4th of July are that, being there. And that's really the kind of the time that I like fireworks is when you're attending something and they have a grandiose show done professionally and it's like 15 to 20 minutes long as opposed to uh, Cletus at the end of the block firing off stuff he buys on the corner. That's never good. That's usually mistimed. Doesn't always seem wildly appropriate. Usually he's got some left over, so July the 5th and the 6th becomes a celebration as well at 10 o'clock at night for some unknown reason, and it's maddening. But okay, enough about that. I've bitched long enough. But also the, the relative strength which these fireworks that you can purchase are. And so I read here, and this is the part of the story that I can't talk about. Again, tragic that this guy is dead. But I was wondering, how is he dead? How did he die? Was he, was he holding the firework and it went off? Uh, what, what happened? No, he was getting out of a hot tub and somebody had lit this firework and it was one of these what's it called a mortar uh, what, what a mortar am i right a mortar firework right all right so first of all i thought what this is not non smoky what are we doing lighting mortar so what is the power on that thing i asked i wanted you to look this up but it hit him in the chest okay and killed him apparently the shells of these mortar fireworks travel yes. at 200 feet per second which Equates to 136 miles an hour. Coming in hot? To the chest. Oh, at point blank, apparently. Can we not like this while Holmes is getting out of a hot tub? I'm not making light of this. The guy is dead. That's tragic. 24 years old, whole career in front of him. But sweet Jesus. I don't know. Seems like you ought to have some regulations on those. Especially if dumbasses are going to fire them off people's chests. Uh, I get you got to take responsibility. You got to be smart. Got to follow the rules. That's that's look the name of them. We're out here firing off mortar shells, are we? It's like we're in a war. Like what are we doing? I don't know enough about fireworks. Admittedly, somebody, some fireworks experts, like you got it all wrong. I know. Go ahead, educate me on how important it is that we all have fireworks. Sure. Sure. That sucks. So there's nothing you can do with that story. That goes sideways as well. I've got like three or four that I don't want to ignore and that people would want to maybe hear about. I mean, these are big stories, some of them anyhow. But, uh, you know, it's like we talked about last hour. It's kind of like, what do I do with this story out of the... Okay, the other one is the Olympics. I want to embrace the Olympics to a degree. You know, I mean... There are always unique stories centered around the Olympics. I always the thing about the Olympics is that you know people train their entire life to realize a dream, and I'm obviously sensitive to that. I always think, man, that's amazing to arrive at this place. But what a nightmare this situation is. I'm not even talking about the track and field situation. I'm talking about they're they're in the midst of a COVID emergency. There, this is like it's considered a state of emergency as the Olympics are getting set to start. That, doesn't it feel like this is not going to happen? Yeah, cases in Tokyo have hit a two-month high. 
right as they're about to start the Olympics. The government is declaring a new state of emergency. I'm not even, listen, I'm not even going down roads of conspiracy or highly charged political debate. I'm just telling you what is in Tokyo currently, who's housing the Olympics. So they already delayed the Olympics opening by two weeks to July 23rd. And now as we approach July 23rd, we've got a declared state of emergency likely to take place in the next week, maybe in the next 24 hours. They've got the International Olympic Committee president, Thomas Bach, arriving tomorrow. And they've got to sit down and talk about, I mean, he's got to isolate at the, uh, at the hotel before he can address the situation. Um, so then you have what would be a ban on even local fans. Couldn't Nobody can go to the events, which if you're watching on television, whatever, I mean, sometimes you miss that energy, but no fans, okay. And uh, when you have a state of emergency, they reported 920 new cases on Wednesday. That's up seven from 714 uh, the day before. It's the highest total since May 13th. It appears that it will be an even higher total uh, diagnosed tom- uh, tomorrow. They're projecting based on the data they have. Um, I, geez, Fans from abroad were banned from attending the Olympics months ago. Two weeks ago, organizers and the IOC decided to allow venues to be filled to 50% capacity but not exceed 10,000. The soaring cases likely mean that the venues will be without any fans at all. Imagine if you... You're going to have, in all likelihood... Now, this is a financial thing more than anything else. But this is going... If they do pull this off, and I feel for the athletes immensely, but can you imagine you have a no-fan atmosphere for the opening ceremony? A $1.4 billion national stadium that was built for this opening ceremony? And we've all watched the opening ceremonies. They are over the top, but it's always this moment of great pride for the athletes to come into the stadium, to walk under the banner of their flag. I, you know, even if you're lukewarm on the Olympics, it's a beautiful moment. You always see, and you know some of these special stories, and the camera pans, and you've got the, the lights and the, and the sounds. And it, This is going to be eerie when we tune into the Olympics. Just like a ghost town, no fans, nothing. Just sound reverberating off the bleachers. But again, I can't go anywhere with that. So I'll switch gears. Jeff Cameron, Show 97.9 ESPN Radio. Miss me some Tom Petty. Uh, Before we get to probables, we should take a little bit of a glimpse into the dominance of one tracking, uh, or or, or that involves tracking one Jacob deGrom in his pursuit of history. 
Director Matthew and I were just talking uh, before the show even and a little bit just during the break about some of these numbers. And you track these numbers, it's remarkable. Great article today, MLB.com, Sarah Langs. As Jacob deGrom continues his historic 2021 season, we're keeping track of his chances at breaking three notable ERA records as well as other fun facts and stats. First, there's Dutch Leonard's 096 mark from the famed 1914 season. You remember that one. Yeah, we all remember. That's the lowest ERA by a qualified pitcher in a single season since earned runs became official in both leagues, which was in 1913. So one year later, that record was posted by good old Dutch Leonard, and it's never been broken. That was before the live ball era, though. The live ball era, when they really made substantive changes to the baseball, started in 1920, as we all know. 1920, things got a little bit livelier in baseball. And the offensive landscape changed. There's Bob Gibson's 112 ERA from 1968. That's the year of the pitcher. That's the live ball record and the ERA mark that is most often thought of when you look at potential records. It's it's Bob Gibson's dominance. And it's the second lowest official ERA behind only the great Dutch Leonard. Dutch was like, bring it. You boys ain't got nothing for me. Here comes a little sidewander. I call it my sidewinder. I don't know why Dutch Leonard talked that way, but he did. He, that's the way he was. Most experts agree. There's also Dwight Gooden's 153 ERA from 1985. I was a freshman in high school, and I saw Dwight Gooden at the 7-Eleven on the regular. Dwight, with the Mets, played at Alang Stadium on the regular. And me and my friends, Chris Sturgeon and the bunch, would drive down to Alang Stadium, which is now where the Rowdies play and was later called Florida Power Park and now does not resemble the place that the Yankees once trained in the 20s, but still holds on to a lot of illustrious baseball history. You can see the old home plate and the marker where Babe Ruth once hit a ball. And it's a, a compelling place to stand and watch. Uh, the city of St. Pete has changed a lot for the better. But I loved that old bar, ballpark when it was there, and I used to love to go watch Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and Lenny Dykstra and Tim Tuffle and the rest of those guys. It was nuts. Lee Mazzilli, Howard Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Ray Knight, Gary Carter. Look at this guy. Anyhow, that was uh, back in the early 80s. That's also the one five three from Dwight Gooden, uh, an ERA from 1985, which is noting that it's the closest anybody came to, you know, Bob Gibson's mark since his 68 campaign was complete and the mound was lowered. I'll get to DeGrom in a moment. I want to circle back to Dwight Gooden. I've mentioned this before. I didn't know it at the time growing up where I did on Pinellas Point Drive in St. Petersburg, but I was surrounded by people who would go on to do a lot of professionally amazing things, like professional sports. It's nuts. Later on, Gary Sheffield built a house two blocks. If you came out onto Pinellas Point Drive, I lived in, in, in an area called the Pink Streets. If you came out onto Pinellas Point Drive and took a right, I mean, two blocks from where I grew up, Gary Sheffield just built this magnificent mansion while he was playing with the Marlins. And out front at the gate were these two huge Marlins that made up the gate, and they would open in. It was really cool. And I think that house is still there with the Marlins, and he hasn't lived there in eons. But some doctor bought it years later and didn't change the gate. Dwight Gooden ended up buying an entire block worth of property 
in the neighborhood where I grew up, and he built houses one by one next to each other for his entire family. So Dwight's house was the one closest to the water. But the one next to that was his brother and then his uncle and, and the whole Gooden family right there. He built these fabulous homes. And when you go by Dwight Gooden's house, and it is still there, when you go by Dwight Gooden's house, some nights he leaves the upstairs drapes open. And when he leaves those open, and it sounds like it's a little weird activity. No, 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 no. It's cool. It's to some sort of billiard room. Because when you look in, what you see on the wall are the jerseys he's collected signed by the players that he got them from in their, in their casing that line the walls. And one of those jerseys that you see most prominently, typically – because you can only really see about three or four of them, and you can see others, you know, they they peel back, but you can't quite read who they are, not without binoculars, and then you might get arrested. So what happens is the first one you see is Jose Canseco's Oakland A's jersey. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. But, yeah, that whole family was there. But I used to see Dwight, unfortunately, when he was in the throes of addiction and had his issues, at the 7-Eleven that I talk about all the time, off of 34th Street, I would ride up there on my mongoose, and there was a chance you could run into Dwight Good and get in a Slurpee. And I always just thought that was the coolest thing in the world because you would ride up with your buddy, and you would he had a, a red, a brilliant red Corvette. It was unbelievable. And you would, you'd see it parked outside. You'd be like, oh, Dwight's here. He loves Slurpees. He was always getting those giant slurpees. And I, too, love slurpees, so we had something in common. And he was always really cool. And it got to be so common that all of us kids in the neighborhood would grab our Topps baseball cards, our Dwight Gooden cards, and we would take them with us to 7-Eleven to buy more baseball cards, which was a, a pastime of ours, buying baseball cards, and an activity I miss. I almost bought baseball cards the other day when I was in a local sporting goods store. I saw them sitting there, and I was like, oh, man, I miss buying baseball cards. To me, that was the be-all, end-all, buying a pack of baseball cards. And if you had a little bit of money and you got four or five packs of baseball cards and then rode home on your bike, because you didn't open them there. Sometimes you did, but if you had four or five, you couldn't wait to get home and you would sit out front with your friends, and you'd sit down, and you would open up those packs of cards, and then you would immediately begin to trade. And you ate every one of those pieces of cardboard gum. Everybody did that, of course, and you go, oh, I got a, I got a Dave Kingman. Anybody want a Dave Kingman? I already have two Dave Kingmans. Okay. I got a Chris Chambliss. <laughs> this is completely off topic. I'm going to ask you a question because you brought up a name that stirred up a memory. But when I was like 9 or 10, and I went to the Braves game, it was Braves Marlins, and my question is, do you have a specific baseball play that sticks out in your mind that you saw live? Because mine mm. is Gary Sheffield played right field for the Braves in like 2003, 2004. And bad speed for days. He threw out Juan Pierre trying to go to third and Juan can on a ball in the corner of right field at Turner Field yep. that never touched the ground. Just all in the air. And I've never seen anything like it before or since. The closest play that I – oh, that I've seen live. Okay. So I will always say that the play involving a throw that I remember the most but I did not see live in person. I saw watching on my TV because it was the All-Star game is Dave Parker's throw for the Pirates from right field – in the air from the same corner you're talking about, basically, um, in Montreal, I believe, one crow hop in the air, laser home plate. It's one of the throws you can find on YouTube. Go look it up. It is insane. The most legendary throw is that 
Bo Jackson throw to get um, to get our guy. Uh, baseball tonight. Uh, baseball MLB Network. Ah, what's wrong with us? Anyhow, he gets thrown out. Famous Seattle Mariner played there forever. And you're about to say his name. Harold Reynolds. <laughs> Harold Reynolds. Bo Jackson's throw to get Harold Reynolds. One thing that bothers me is that you do not get to see. So you see Bo retrieve the ball. You see the camera cut to Harold Reynolds, who could fly. He's coming around third. There's no way this play should be close. When he gets thrown out, you see the look of shock and utter amazement. Harold Reynolds cannot do the math. He cannot figure out how it's possible that a ball could get to home plate. Because he, the play was in front of him. He could see where the ball was, and he's like, well, I mean, this is, I'm going to be safe. When he gets tagged, he sits up, the look on his face is like, "There's who teleported the ball to home? Is that the real baseball? Is somebody playing a joke on me? It's crazy. But there's no great shot of the throw traveling through the air. You just see the action. And I always wished I had been there live for that. Play that I've seen live that blew me away and stuck with me. Well, I've seen, you know, I, I think uh, there were a couple of monumental um, or, or, or moments where the person was on the precipice of reaching a magic number. I saw Jim Tomei hit his 599th home run, I think it was, because he's got 600 home runs, and he was with the Twins. And I, I went up there to Target Field, and we, yeah, I saw that home run. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, man, he's going to hit, he's going to get to 600 before we leave here. Uh, but, but, but he didn't. Uh, and then I saw Eddie Murray. I think hit his, might have been his 398th, 397th, and 398th home run. He was a switch hitter. He was with the Orioles, and I was at Camden Yards, and I saw, and I, I told you I took a picture of Those stand out just because they were monumental moments, but I don't think I, I don't know that I ever saw a play like you're talking about where it's etched in memory. The throw is just so overwhelmingly good. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have been there when Itro did the same thing, throwing to third. I mean, when he first joined the league, you go, what the hell was that? Raul Mondesi used to throw people out on the regular. People forget about Raul Mondesi because he had a whatever career, but that was a a weapon in right field that he used to throw with. And I remember, and he had a tattoo, I think, on his forearm of, like, fire and a baseball. It was that guy, he had a cannon for an arm. Baseball plays that I always think about, oddly, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. I tell people all the time, Kevin Cash in college – to this day, has the strongest arm I've ever seen from a position player. He was third baseman, and they everybody knew they were going to move him to catcher. But his arm, I mean, Kevin Cash seems so unassuming. You look at him, right? And he's a nice guy. He was a tough guy. He was a real good college player. Pretty average pro player, but he was a really good college player. Holy moly. That thing was a howitzer. It would He would, and I remember so many games where he'd get the ball and he'd just pat, and Pat, while well, dudes are running down the line, and you're going, oh, you may want to throw it. And then, and you just think, uh, the guy must have been like, are you kidding? And you, it would make a pop. People people around here know. They, if they were at those games, they know exactly what I was talking about. It, it was just insane. So these are records that our man, Jacob deGrom, is threatening. He's got an 095 ERA currently. Um, and you go back and look. I mean, Dutch Leonard is the only guy that had an ERA at this stage through this many starts entering July 7th. Um, the, the only person in history of Major League Baseball that has a lower ERA than Jacob DeGrom does currently. They've been playing baseball a long time. 
more than 100 years, is Dutch Leonard, who more than 100 years ago had an 087 at this point. Ended up with an 096. DeGrom has an 095. He came into the night having retired 37 straight batters in the first inning, holding opponents to one for 39 in the opening inning. And you go through and look at the it's it's well it it is uh, it's hard to fathom. I remember the start that Gooden had when when Gooden threw fourteen starts. Dwight Gooden in nineteen eighty five had an ERA of one seven nine, and it was talked about all the time. I mean, everybody was like, "Look at what this guy's doing. Who has a one seven nine ERA?" And now Degrom's out here with an 095. So far, Jacob Degrom has averaged around six innings per start. He might have, if he's healthy, about 16 starts left. That's 96 more innings under his belt, which would give him 180 total for the season. To stay under 1-1-2, he'd need to allow no more than 22 earned runs on the season, assuming that innings total of 180. He's now allowed nine earned runs, nine all season. So he's got 13 to play with in his final 16 starts. You can't get in 16 starts to get to this number. He can't give up in total more than 13 runs. Now, give or take, because there are, you know, he may pitch a little few more innings or a few less. His 054 whip is the lowest by any pitcher in any 14 starts opens uh, opening span uh, of a season since 1901. His streak of allowing one or no earned runs in 12 straight starts from April 5th to June 21st is the longest streak among traditional starters since earned runs have been official. He broke the tie at 11, which he shared with Bob Gibson. He has 136 strikeouts and has allowed just 35 hits this year. He's the only pitcher since last since at least 1901 with 135 or more strikeouts and no more than 35 hits allowed in any 14-game span. He's allowed nine earned runs in this 14-start span, along with those 136 strikeouts. He's the only pitcher since ERA became official with at least 135 strikeouts and fewer than 10 earned runs allowed in a 14-game span. And finally, and there are many more, but we do have to get the probables, He's holding opposing pitchers, or excuse me, he's holding opposing hitters to a 122 batting average. That's the lowest for any pitcher in a 14-game span since 1901, minimum of 80 innings pitched. We can keep going. I mean, they, they, these numbers, that's unreal. I keep, I mean. <laughs> that's not good radio. I'm sorry. I just read six or seven other stats that I thought, well, it's worthy of noting these two. But, but at the same time, let's cue it up. Let's get to some probables. Here we go. It's time for, how you say, with the pitching, uh, probables? Double headers. Some other catch-up games. Games being played right now. We got Tigers-Rangers tonight. That's uh, Casey Mize and Kyle Gibson. Reds-Royals tonight. Sonny Gray, Brady Singer. Second game of uh, Rays and Indians will be played this evening as well. Brewers-Mets. That's Corbin Burns and Jacob DeGrom. Aforementioned Jacob DeGrom. He's kind of good. 
Red Sox, Angels. Red Sox are good, by the way. Eduardo Rodriguez. Andrew Haney going for the Angels. Blue Jays, Orioles. Hyun Yin Ryu. Matt Harvey going for the Orioles. And I cannot believe that they continue to roll Matt Harvey out there. Ass sorry. Matt Harvey. Brewers met Brett Anderson in the uh, second game of a doubleheader. Don't know who the uh, the next pitcher will be for the Mets. Dodgers, Marlins, TBD for both Phillies, Cubs, and man, David Ross, I'm getting a little worried about you. Spanking the Cubs or the Phillies. Well, so is everybody. Since the combined no-hitter, they don't have a win. You lose 11 straight, people begin to talk about job security. Zach Wheeler will pitch for the Phillies tonight. The Cubs will throw Alec Mills, advantage Phils. I hated to see the night before last two, the uh, Phillies beat up on Jake Arrieta. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Hey, by the way, is uh, Andrew McCutcheon having himself quite a season? Is he? He is. Look at that. Good on you, Especially the past couple of weeks. Good on you, Kutch. A's Astros, Sean Mania, Luis Garcia, Rockies, D-backs, Antonio Cincinella, Humberto Castellanos. What a night for names. Cards, Giants, Juan Aviedo, Alex Wood. Nats, Padres, Patrick Corbin, Chris Paddock, Yankees, Mariners, Domingo Harmon, Yusei Kikuchi. And that's a look at those that shall reside on the boat. That's all I can stand on that. Let's segue over to uh, the mighty Thunderstruck as provided by ACDC. Let's go Bolts. Close it out tonight. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Tonight, if you want to listen to Beyond the Tips on Sirius XM PGA Tour Channel 92, you'll find Trey and I interviewing Bones. That's right. Got Bones on for the show tonight. Phil Mickelson's former caddy of 20-plus uh, years. And been on the bag for five-plus majors and Really, really good at his job as an analyst these days on the course. So it'll be a fun conversation tonight. If that's if, if hockey's not your thing, just tune on over. Good work, Matthew, as always. To those that called in or listen, surely do appreciate it. Be well. Have a great night. We'll talk to you tomorrow.